Welcome, Las Vegas. It is Heat Wave Sports. I am Tom Barton from TomBartonSports.com, taking you for two hours. Sunday, the Super Sunday show here on Heat Wave Sports. We have a lot to talk about. Tim Unglesby will be joining us at some point in the evening, but Chris Wynn is going to be sitting in with me as my co-host. Guys, we have a lot to go over. We will start off with the Raiders, the Jets, Pierce, Jacobs looks like he's back. Devontae Adams looks like he's happy. Aiden O'Connell's Rookie of the Year. All right, maybe I'm getting ahead of myself, but I do want to get into that, and I want to, unfortunately, throw a little cold water on the Raiders to the playoffs talk. We'll get into that, as well as everything that happened over the course of the day. We have learned a lot of things last week. I told you guys we did learn a lot of things last week. Well, a lot more things did we learn. I asked the question on Twitter And I want you guys to be a part of the show, as always. So on X, on Twitter, go check me out. It's Tom Barton Sports at HW Sports or at Christian Wynn over on the X over on the Twitter. Look, I asked the question because it has been exactly seven days. Seven days ago, we watched everybody line up and they turned around and they were saying the Bengals are the new Super Bowl team. They were going Bengals futures. Bengals, Joe Burrow is back. Here we go. They lose at home as nearly a touchdown favorite. The Ravens in the same similar spot during the game. You heard the announcers say a lot of people think the Ravens are the best team in the NFL. They lose at home as nearly a touchdown favorite. So what do we know? Are we just at the point of the season where it's all in the middle? It's all mixed up and we could kind of count these as fluky. What about the San Francisco 49ers coming off of a bye week? Have they re-cemented their place as the elite? What about the Dallas Cowboys? I know it's against the Giants, but you had to be impressed. So we're going to go over every single game. We're going to get into it all. And we are going to answer some of these questions for you. When I say we, I mean myself and Chris Wynn. Chris, how are you doing tonight? I'm doing great, Tommy. It's great, good to Tom. join you on a Sunday here, Heatwave Sports Style. Uh, you want to talk about a theme of the NFL Sunday here at Week 10, right, Tommy Barton? It's called Down to the Wire from the Earliest Tilt. That was over there, of course, in uh, Frankfurt, Germany, as the uh, Colts and the Patriots got at it. In the uh, the wee the wee early morning hours, Tom Barton out here on the West Coast for that tilt as it uh, kicked off around 6:30 a.m. to, of course, going down to the Sunday night matchup between the as you mentioned, Las Vegas Raiders hosting the New York Jets, and uh, what ended up becoming a kind of a, a game that went down to the to the end as well too in that matchup, and uh, of course uh, scattered throughout the day. A number of games in which it was a game-winning field goal that decided some of these matchups. So a lot to talk about when it comes to the National Football League and probably much, much more as we get things rolling on a Sunday night here on Heatwave Sports. Well, let's start right off, Chris, with the game we just watched, uh, which happened to be the local game, right? The Las Vegas Raiders taking on the New York Jets in a game that, look, before we get ahead of ourselves, let's put the precursor. We all knew it was going to be ugly. I mean, the over-under was set at like 35. We knew it was going to be ugly. We knew it was going to be a struggle. We knew it was going to be a field goal fest. And it was going to be kind of who survived that fest. Well, it was the Raiders. And the Raiders look really good. Josh Jacobs rumbled for over 100 yards. I love the game plan. Even him during the post-game said, yeah, I didn't like exactly the play calls early on. Well, that's okay. And they're okay to talk like that. It's not the McDaniels era. Uh, They fed Devontae Adams early. They were going to him early and often. Michael Mayer was found. Everybody has to like what they saw in this offense. 
And forget about the ugliness of it, Chris. It was an offense that ran through Jacobs, an offense that ran through Devontae Adams, an offense that did just enough against a really, really good defense. I was impressed with what I watched from the Raiders tonight, more so than I was impressed last week. I know they got a huge win last week, right? Big emotional win and up and down the field. I was more impressed with the win tonight than I was with the win last week. With that being said, I need every Las Vegas Raiders fan to pump the brakes. And like I said, I'm here to throw cold water, and I don't mean it. I want to say I'm impressed. I want to tell you, yes, the Raiders look good. The Raiders' offense did what they had to do and looked good, in my opinion, doing it. The Raiders are 5-5. Five and five. Their season all of a sudden has turned around. All of these things are true. But as we often say on Heatwave Sports, look at the schedule. And the schedule is what scares me. I think the Raiders are a better team without McDaniels. I think the Raiders are a better team without Garoppolo. I think the Raiders are a much better team from this point forward. But it may not show up in the wins-losses. Look, beating the Jets and the Giants, even in the way that you did, it was impressive. I liked everything about it. I I am impressed. But you got to go to Miami next. Kansas City Chiefs after that. You get your bye week. The hottest team in football comes in in the Vikings. You get the Chargers, which is always a tough game. Then you got to go to Arrowhead, to Indianapolis, take on Denver. I mean, look, I'm looking at this and I'm going five and five is is an accomplishment in itself. But if you're looking at this and you're thinking they're winning 10, 11 games, I I think you're a delusional Raiders fan. Can we just enjoy things that are nice as you have them? Expect the Raiders to be in games. Expect the Raiders to look better. Expect a lot of games like you saw tonight where there's a lot of emotion, where Jacobs becomes the guy that we know he is, where you have Spillane and Crosby causing havoc, where Devontae Adams is actually smiling again. Yeah, expect that. But don't sit back and expect 11 or 12 wins, 10, 11, 12 wins. I think you're getting out in front of your skis here, Raiders fans. What do you think, Chris? Yeah, well, here's the deal, Tommy. We knew what we were going to get in this matchup between the Jets and the Raiders. We knew it was going to be a knockdown, drag out type of fight. We knew the field goal kickers were probably going to get a workout, right? There was all these scores getting tossed around, like 10 to 3 and, you know, 14 to fourteen to 6 and numbers like that. When it comes to the Las Vegas Raiders, Tommy, here's the deal. Uh, Antonio Pierce, obviously, is the interim head coach. It was absolutely imperative for him and his coaching staff when they wanted to have the storyline of going a different direction, right? Then Josh McDaniels, it was going to be, let's run the football. That was going to be a major key for them moving forward. And that's exactly what they did tonight. Josh Jacobs, of course, rushing for 116 yards, in which he ended a 14-game streak of uh, failing to get to get 100 yards and gets 27 attempts as uh, Pierce and company committed to that, you know, for run first attack. Um um, Aiden O'Connell, O'Connell is is a fourth round draft pick. I thought uh, you know people were kind of pie in the sky a little bit here in Vegas, Tommy, when you talk about the local media and and just all the media across the country that that covers Raider Nation. I think was getting a little too you know uh, needed to, as you pointed out, calm down a little bit when it comes to the whole Aiden O'Connell thing. Um, he was decent. He wasn't great by any stretch of the imagination. He throws for the game's only touchdown, obviously, to Michael Mayer there in, in the second half. And it was a, and, and uh, I'll give it up to him. It was a, a tremendous throw. Uh, he threw it only where Michael Mayer could catch it. 
and they end up getting a score there. But uh, he didn't exactly light things up. He ends up becoming the second Raiders uh, rookie quarterback, by the way, to win two of his first three starts. Uh, a lot of people that are football people out there probably don't even know who Mike Ray is back in 1976, who was the other. Uh, but O'Connell passes for 153, and, and he had the one interception. And, uh, you know, the Raiders had the fumble in the fourth quarter that, uh, that gave the New York Jets a chance in this football game. But uh, a big part of, uh, of, of winning this game, if you're talking about the Raiders, was turning away those two late attempts by the Jets to rally. Roberts to Lane. Roberts to Lane, a big-time interception of Zach Wilson's pass when uh, they're on the Vegas 15-yard line with a minute 22 left there. And then, of course, uh, you know, you had the, you had the fumble by uh, Josh Jacobs in which the Jets, you know, tried to tried to make something of it. So, um, and, and then the Jets, of course, had a chance because of uh, the Raiders, you know, throwing on that third down, which a lot of people are saying, okay, I'm fine with it because, you know, you're not uh, you're not playing conservative. It's it's a little bit risky, but it did leave the Jets with one time out there, and they weren't able to capitalize on it. So I, I, if you're the Raiders, look, I mean, it's two wins in a row against the likes of the Giants and the Jets. Yes, the Jets, from a defensive standpoint, you're talking about one of the top two defenses in the NFL. But offensively, there's just all kinds of problems, right, Tommy? I mean, you're there. The Jets offensively, you know, Brees Hall, you like what he what he could bring to the table as far as his explosiveness, but you're just not getting enough of it with the New York Jets. And I'm sorry, but Zach Wilson, uh, it just it just he's not he's not an NFL starting quarterback. He's just not. And I kind of feel for Robert Sala in this situation because I don't think that it's an ideal situation for him that he's in. Uh, and I think I feel for a lot of this defense. And it was discussed during the broadcast about, you know, are they going to get to a point? And I want to get your take on this, Tommy. Are they going to get to a point in New York with the Jets where the defense is going to be coming off the field and is going to be frustrated and hoeing and humming as they're coming off the field because the offense is not picking up the slack. And that's exactly what I saw out there tonight. And uh, look, I, I, I was, uh, it, it was good for the Raiders to get a victory, but uh, it's not it's not a situation if I think if you're Raider Nation, you should be out there, uh, you know, uh, stomping your feet, thinking that this is some kind of playoff game or something. Well, let's talk about the Jets for a moment, because I disagree with you. I disagree with the national media. I disagree with the New York media. Zach Wilson can be okay. I, I think he can. I think Robert Salah is a fireable coach. I think he's a disaster. Um, his offensive coordinator, Hackett, is even worse. And, and let me give you the prime example. And I did put this out on Twitter. Uh, all game long, and, and I knew because I had <laughs> uh, Brees Hall over two and a half catches, it, yep. there were zero, and I mean zero, looks, attempts, or even acknowledgement of Brees Hall in the passing game until basically the fourth quarter. So Brees Hall gets the ball, one look, 35 yards down the sideline, and gets the, the Jets within the 25-yard line. They take him out of the game. The next play, they try to throw it to Dalvin Cook. No, no, not even close. The next play, they try to throw it again. He, he's out of the game. Next play, they throw it again. He's out of the game. And then they kick a field goal. Uh, and you go, yeah, that's about right. The next possession, Brees Hall, what happens? Two, two, he got he over two and a half. Two catches. Another 15, 25 yards. Every time the guy touches the ball, he's getting a first down. That was the end of it. There's a distinct lack 
of get the ball to your key receivers in New York. And while Zach Wilson makes the big error at the end of the game, yes, he does. Do not, look, I'm not making excuses for him. Yes, he does. But he has shown athleticism. He has shown the speed. He has shown the burst. He has shown a lot. On the play where he, you know, ran down the field and just barely stepped out or else he dives into the end zone and gets a touchdown there. On that play, afterwards, look, they're on what? The four-yard line, the five-yard line, whatever it is. Penalty, penalty, penalty. And they don't they don't even have Brees Hall on the field. I mean, everybody's looking at Garrett Wilson. And I get it. But Brees Hall is your best player. He's the most athletic player that's on the field. He's not on the field. He's taken out of games. And not only for Dalvin Cook, but for Michael Carter and, and anybody else. They just are not utilizing the man the way they should. So is it Zach Wilson's fault? Partially. Is it penalties and a bad offensive line, which I love to hear all the time? Partially. But I think the bulk of this is bad coaching. I mean, flat out, Robert Sala is in over his head. He is a bad coach. It's not he's mediocre. He's a bad coach, and a lot of it has to do with Hackett. You watched a play on the sidelines, and you know my disdain for Aaron Rodgers, okay? But I respect the man as a player. On the sidelines, you see... On a third down call, Hackett call a play. The camera pans to Rodgers, who's listening to the offensive play call, and he's shaking his head and almost in disbelief. What happens? You pan over to the field. The Jets go backwards. Of course, the play doesn't work because we can all see how the plays won't work. So, yeah, if you want to get into the Jet talk, should Zach Wilson be a starting quarterback right now? Probably not. But there are worse starting quarterbacks out there. There are worse players starting as a quarterback in the NFL, then Zach Wilson. He's not a starter, but in the watered-down league that we are, I guess he could be okay, but he needs somebody else on his side. Robert is a bad coach. Hackett's a terrible offensive coordinator. Zach Wilson's not a very good quarterback. That combination is just too much to overcome. Well, you laid it out solidly right there, Tommy, but I'll just add on to it. Look, I mean, it's it's you watching the telecast tonight, right? Seeing Aaron Rodgers on the sidelines. I got to tell you, man, I feel for the mental health that is Jet fan, right? When you have situations develop on the field offensively that go sour, right? Or Zach doesn't make a play. Or, you know, Garrett Wilson isn't able to, to get the ball from Zach Wilson. And you, they keep cutting away to Aaron Rodgers on the sidelines. And, you know, Nathaniel Hackett as well, too. And it's like this huge what if, right? You're just always thinking about what could be. And I guarantee you, I have to believe Jet fan is thinking exactly the same thing. And it just kept uh, raising its head during the game tonight because there were numerous situations, you know, and you, you just had to think. And, look, I have, I have no allegiance to the Jets whatsoever. This is just a, you know, step-away observation I'm making right now. But it's just got to be tough knowing that, you know, Aaron Rodgers, if he was in that situation at that time in this game against the Raiders, that they would have success because he was the guy behind center. But, uh, you know, we, we understand uh, the reality of the situation that he's hurt. But uh, it's just got to be so Tough. But look, Chris, they'd have success because Hackett would be calling plays and Rodgers would be shaking him off. Right. Well, yeah, but with your, with your take on Hackett, though, look, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure out why Hackett's even there. The only reason he's there is because the expectation was what? Aaron Rodgers is going to be the guy and that Hackett was going to work with Aaron Rodgers. That was the whole thing. So that's kind of all gotten blown up. And 
you know, again, and so that adds also to the to the mental health issues I'm sure that Jet fan has, you know, as far as the the, the rest of the season. But uh, and I but I agree with you on Robert Sala. I agree. I mean, he's not a great coach. I think he's a, a solid defensive mind. He's a guy who's a defensive guy. But you're not going to sit back and say he's you know he's he has he's innovative or he's someone that's going to you know bring in the right people from an offensive standpoint. That's not what anybody's going to say about Robert Sala. But I would agree that that uh, you know he's he's flat out up against it right now as a coach with the Jets. Jets next week travel to Orchard Park, travel to Buffalo. I know we're going to preview the uh, Buffalo game in a little while tomorrow night's game. Uh, seven point favorite is the uh, early indication for Buffalo. Jets can't beat the Bills. I, I mean, they just can't. Uh, as bad as the Bills are right now, I, I can't imagine that that line goes uh, anything but up, even depending on what happens tomorrow. Dolphins will be hosting the Raiders. The Dolphins' early line is double digits, 10 point spread for the Dolphins, who are off this week. Any thoughts on these games? Is the bubble bursting, Tommy? I say it is. Look, you know, you look at the opponents that they've had the last couple of weeks, you understand they're going to be having, you know, a nice kick in the backside. Use whatever analogy you want to call it when you bring in Antonio Pierce as your head coach, and he's fiery, and he's a different kind of approach, and they've been able to be successful, obviously, with these two wins. But I get a sense, Tommy Barton, and uh, again, I, I'll be interested to see what you say. I think this is, uh, you know, where reality smacks you dead in the face, and uh, you're going up against a team that absolutely is one of the best in the AFC, and uh, also a, a team that uh, uh, would like nothing better to, to knock off anything silver and black whatsoever. So I think it's going to be a tough spot for the Raiders in this matchup with Miami. Well, Chris, that was the, the late game. Let's go back to the early game. And when I said that Zach Wilson could start for other teams in the NFL, yeah, Zach Wilson could start for the Patriots right now because Mac Jones didn't even finish the game in one of the weirdest situations I've ever watched. And by the way, I'm not even sure if Zach Wilson is better than Minshew, but I think he's better on the same par. He could start for the Colts. Uh, but in one of the weirdest situations, the Colts beat the Patriots 10-6. Again, um, we are giving the, the the European people terrible football. But we knew this was going to happen. The over-under was set at like 40, 41, depending on what you were getting. It was well under in this game. The, I mean, the theory of this game is, look, the Patriots couldn't move the ball. And a lot of this, again, is Mac Jones's fault. A lot of it is coaching, sure. But this, this looked like it was a lot of Mac Jones. And at the end of the game, the Patriots down four points, had an opportunity to get the ball back with about two minutes to go to drive down the field and try to win the game. And they yanked the starting quarterback and put in Bailey Zappi. Now, Zappi threw a terrible interception. He thought he was going to get a a flag. I I get it. It was still ugly. But, man, are things bad for the Patriots. This among all of the conversations that happened this week, that Belichick is going to step away after the season. He's quasi going to be fired. Maybe Washington wants him as a head coach. I've heard the Giants want him as a head coach. Maybe Dallas comes calling. Gary Myers, who I've had on the Sports uh, Garden Network show with me uh, multiple times. Gary Myers has been tweeting out multiple times how Belichick is kind of gone with all this going on. Now there's a quarterback controversy. Asked about the confidence level of Mac Jones afterwards. Bill Belichick looked at the microphone and said, I have confidence in all my players, right? I mean, that that's just a Belichickian answer, kind of. 
if that is the word. I, I think I just made up a word here. So, I, look, it was ugly. It was gross. Uh, you know, uh, Indy got the win. Great. But the, well, every conversation that we could have is all about Mac Jones, Bill Belichick, and the dysfunctional New England Patriots. The Indianapolis Colts, uh, I believe every other game this season have been able to score 20 points or more. They scored half of that, Tom Barton, in this football game, and we're still able to win it. Uh, look, it was the lowest scoring game in the NFL this season. The Patriots, I mean, they're just all kinds of numbers, Tommy, that are not good when you want to talk about the New England Patriots. They're 2-8 and eight on the season. It's the worst since Bill Belichick's first year as their head coach in 2000. Um, the Patriots have not won a game outside of the AFC East this season. They failed to score a touchdown in at least three games in their first 10 games of the season for the first time since 1995. Tommy, you were much younger. I was in college at the time. I mean, it's, it's just crazy. Now, look, I mean, the running game was actually half decent, to be honest with you. I mean, Ramadi Stevenson had a decent game. Ezekiel Elliott chipped in as well, too. But you cannot have Mac Jones out there just throwing it to the other team. Ten interceptions on the season. He's, he's leading the NFL as far as interceptions for quarterbacks in the league. And it's absolutely a, just, a, just a horrific situation if you're the Patriots from an offensive and quarterback standpoint. You mentioned, of course, Bailey Zappi takes over there late in the fourth quarter. Um, and they weren't doing Jones any favors, by the way. The Patriots, the guy was on his back five times in the first half in this game as well, too. So, uh, obviously, Shane Steichen is going to is gonna praise the Colts' defense, right, to be able to hold New England to six points in this game. That's going to be kind of the storyline as to why, you know, the Indianapolis Colts won this game. But you want to talk about flat-out ugly for the last game outside the United States, Tom Barton, between this, this matchup between Indianapolis and New England? That's exactly what it was. And, uh, again, as I mentioned with the Raider game, and, you know, how you're not, not going to be out there and, you know, slamming pats on the back of uh, all things silver and black. Uh, it's not exactly like the uh, Indianapolis Colts, I think, should be getting all kinds of credit because they pull out a 10-6 to win over the lowly. Yes, I, it's, it's kind of hard to believe, right? We're talking about the lowly. New England Patriots right now. Yeah, Patriots look like a top five pick, maybe with a new head coach. Um, I, I do want to ask you about the Indianapolis Colts, though, because obviously we're going to have all the attention paid on New England here, okay, with what is Belichick's future, what's the quarterback situation. Both teams are off next week to get a breather. But the Colts are sitting here and they're going, oh, are we getting any respect? They're five and five, same as the Raiders, right? They're ahead of the Chargers, ahead of uh, teams like that. They're one and a half games out of their own division. They are right in the thick of things for a wild card. You start looking at the wild card, they're right there. I mean, are we believing? Are you believing in this Colts team? Because I simply am not. I, I, I'm just not. I know they have an easy schedule. I know they have a quote-unquote easy, easy division, but I'm not buying into this team. And you look at their schedule because we always do that, right? They are ha they do have winning winnable games. Bucks winnable game after the bye. Titans winnable game. You get the Bengals in Cincinnati that'll be tough. Steelers winnable game at home. Falcons winnable game. Raiders winnable game. Texans winnable game. I see the winning winnable game, guys. I know what what I'm looking at. I just can't wrap my head around the Colts being a playoff team. Yeah, I'd have to agree. Look, when it comes to Indianapolis, uh, injuries kind of raise their head in this game too. Uh, look, you do you you do like if I'm going to talk positive about it, you do like Jonathan Taylor getting that one score in the game, right on the ground. 
But uh, defensively, you know, Quiddy Pay, he, he got injured there in that first quarter. He ends up coming back in the game. But a hamstring can be tricky, right, for DNs. Also, you know, Taekwon Lewis, he was also hurt with that calf in that first quarter as well, too, and he ended up coming back. So uh, you don't want to keep some of your key guys on defense to get hurt. And then, of course, Ryan Kelly has has his second concussion of the season. And uh, it's never good for, you know, the cohesiveness of an offense when your center is out. And, uh, and don't get me started on, you know, Gardner Minshew and, and, and company, right, when it comes to the quarterbacks there. So, uh, look, I understand they have a bye week, and that's fine. But uh, I think that uh, it's not going to be pretty when they host the Tampa Bay Buccaneers come November 26th. I think, you know, and I'm not sitting here acting like Tampa Bay is is is, is just gangbusters. But I think that uh, I think certainly uh, the Bucks are going to be uh, are going to be just a formidable foe when it comes to all things Indianapolis. I, I mean, look, Shane Steichen uh, here in Vegas, obviously, there's an allegiance to him because he's a former UNLV Rebel uh, quarterback, and that's fine. But uh, it, it, it is. It's a tough spot for him, and I don't. I do not think. I would agree with you. I don't think the Colts are going to be a team that's going to necessarily either be a wild card or a team that could contend for the AFC South. Chris, let's take our time out here. Um, we'll take a quick timeout. We covered the late game. We covered the early game. Let's uh, come back and cover everything in between. We'll lead it off with the Browns and Ravens. A game that I think that's why Tim's not here. He was waiting until we're getting over his Ravens debacle. I want to get your take on that. We'll look ahead to the Thursday night game. Lots more right here on Heatwave Sports. And now back to Heatwave Sports. Here's Tom Barton. All right, guys. Welcome back to Heatwave Sports. Tom Barton here from TomBartonSports.com. Sitting in with Chris Wynn. Waiting for Tim Unglesby to jump on board with us. And we're going over everything that happened in the NFL. And I said it. Look, I, I'm calling you out, Tim. You're not here because you don't want to talk about the collapse that were your Baltimore Ravens. But we're going to talk about it. Chris, um, I didn't have any action on this game. And I, I had, you know, a couple of things going on in the morning slate. By the way, I went three and one. I I, I gave away to the – I feel, I feel bad. I gave away to the listeners – uh, the only loser that I had today, and it, it's funny because on the on the text message thread for it and everything else, uh, I said, yeah, I like the Bengals in the over. And Tim said, yeah, what do we got, a 30 point? I said, I think that each one of them could kind of get to 30. I think it's definitely going over. And I wound up giving the Bengals instead of the over. My apologies, but I did go 3-1 and at com today. Um, so I didn't have this game. I didn't have every, anything on the game. There was kind of no rooting interest, so I didn't pay attention to it. Once it was like 17-3, which is how the game began, guys, I I sort of tuned out. You know, I was just paying attention to other games. I was keeping an eye on it. It was 17-3. Then it was 17-9. Okay. Then it was 24-9. And I really, truly wasn't paying attention. A lot of times I'll even have, um, you know, a a defensive prop play. And I I always love to use Roquan. I know he rolled up a lot. I barely was paying attention. Next thing I know is, yeah, getting a little closer. Next thing I know is a little closer. Next thing I know is a little closer. And all of a sudden, it forced me to start paying attention. And as I started to pay attention, the Browns are just rolling back. So I'm not sure how this happened. I I really don't. I I mean, I don't, I went back. Look, I reviewed it. But I don't know how this could keep happening to the Ravens. The collapses continue to happen to the Ravens. I said it to Tim. I said, you know, this this seems to happen every year. He said, oh yeah, it absolutely does. 
year after year, late in the game, late in the fourth quarter. This year, they'd basically be undefeated if it wasn't for fourth quarter meltdowns. And it happens again, this time at home. This time, everybody had a problem. You can't can't say the Ravens played good defense. Browns put up 33. Can't say the offense was good. Jackson threw two interceptions and a big pick six. This was a welcome back to reality Ravens who were being talked about as a Super Bowl champion, wasn't it, Chris? Yeah, this happens a lot, doesn't it, Tommy? Where you get a team with so much promise, so much expectations, and then uh, they get kind of, uh, you know, they get uh, bumped upside the head with a dose of reality. Uh, Look, when it comes to the Cleveland Browns, right, this is a situation where uh, they've received a ton of ridicule, and rightfully so, for the massive contract you give Deshaun Watson. And that's not something that's going to go away just because of one game. But, you know, look, I, I mean, I, as as much as I hate to say it because I, I'm not uh, in any way, shape, or form a supporter of Deshaun Watson, but in the second half, he was outstanding. I mean, this is a team that was down 14 in the fourth quarter. And, uh, you know, his second-half performance against Baltimore showed why that the Cleveland Browns, you know, were desperate to acquire a star kind of quarterback there. And, you know, uh, you talked about how this happened. It was really – it was about the Cleveland Browns defense, which is, you know, staunch – and uh, was able to make plays, you, you know, inter- key interceptions at key points. Um, Lamar Jackson, not exactly a great game, right? A couple of picks in this game to go along with that touchdown pass and uh, 41 yards on the ground. But uh, it just set up for, a, you know, a, a tough in-division battle. And the Browns were able to make key plays. Uh, you know, you get, you get that uh, they were down 30, what, 31-17 before Watson threw that touchdown pass to Elijah Moore with about nine minutes left in the game. And uh, then you got Lamar Jackson, you know, uh, one of his passes getting, you know, bounced high into the air. And Greg Newsom just picks the thing off and returns it uh, for a touchdown, you know, just 41 seconds later. I mean, that's a massive swing if, if people believe in momentum. That, I mean, that's huge right there. So uh, I'm a monster fan of uh, the Red Zone channel, Tommy Barton. So that's why I got a chance to catch, so, you know, some of the key points of this game while not watching the entire game. But, uh, again, it was an indication that uh, that Cleveland is a team that uh, is not going to be going away. And you talk about teams like Indianapolis or or maybe a, a couple others that that could be a kind of a monkey rent, you know, be, be a, a thorn in the side, so to speak, of the top teams in the AFC. Oh, man, Tommy, I hate to say it, but Cleveland might be that team uh, with, uh, you know, some of the weapons they have as well as uh, what they can do from a defensive standpoint on a, on a Sunday by Sunday and Monday basis. Bengals were the game that I was watching. Bengals-Texans. Texans win 30-27. to 27. Look, I could go on and on and drool about uh, how good C.J. Stratus looked this year. 356 yards, one touchdown, one pick. He is just completely in control. He's the guy that in the late, in the fourth quarter, he comes back. He is the guy that, I, I, I mean... He's the next great quarterback. You can see it right now. I mean, C.J. Stroud has everything working against him. His offensive line is bagged up. He's missing guys. He's missing Nico Collins. He doesn't have receivers. He doesn't care. He doesn't care. Oh, you take away my starting running back? Fine. Devin Singletary is going to rush 30 times for 150 yards. Oh, you take away my starting wide receiver and Nico Collins? No problem. I'm going to go to uh, this guy Brown that you haven't even heard of for 172 yards, right? I- I'm going to go. I'm going to use every weapon. I mean, man, C.J. Stroud is fantastic. But this game is about Joe Burrow. Look, when Brock Purdy screws up, when Josh Allen screws up, when Patrick Mahomes certainly screws up, we start to go. You know what? 
what's going on? What we got to put the blame on them? What happened? What was wrong? What what happened? What, what about Lamar Jackson today with two interceptions? And we seem to always just look over Joe Burrow. Joe Burrow lost the game for them today. Plain and simple. Period. I know you can say, well, the thirty points didn't the defense lose the game for them too? Yeah, they did. Absolutely, that they they were a part of it. And Tyler Boyd dropped a big pass. Sure, Joe Burrow in the final five or six minutes of this game threw th- two interceptions inside the red zone, one in the end zone. He can't do that. Can't do that at home and be a quote unquote Super Bowl team. You can't lose at home to the Texans and as great as CJ Stroud is and be a quote unquote Super Bowl team. You can't score seven points. The first possession went right down the field. And then you go, what, 25 minutes before the next score? You can't score seven points and a half against the Texans defense that is banged up, had seven guys on the injury report. This was Joe Burrow at his worst. And he's healthy, guys. You don't see this often. I expect the Bengals to bounce back. That's perfectly fine. But if we're going to give the heat to Josh Allen and we're going to give the heat to Patrick Mahomes and Justin Herbert and uh, Lamar Jackson and all the rest, you got to give the heat to Joe Burrow. While C.J. Stroud certainly had a big hand in winning this game, this was Joe Burrow losing the game for the Bengals. Yeah, Tommy, I'll give you a little bit different perspective, right? You talk about Joe Burrow as the guy that lost this game. I got to say, I mean, I mean C.J. Stroud and company won this football game for Houston, right? So you, when you're talking about C.J. Stroud, you're talking about the most exciting rookie quarterback in the league, right? Since probably Joe Burrow, ironically, right? Um, there was even some comments being made, Tom Barton, across the Twitter sphere slash X slash social media sphere that C.J. Stroud, Tommy Barton, got to get your take, that he is the best quarterback so far ever as a rookie ever that's the words have been tossed out there now look big time games back-to-back weeks right where he had you know directed a game-winning drive in the last minute for this team after they pulled out that what wild it was 39-37 game over Tampa Bay when uh, he put together that 75-yard touchdown drive in the final 40 seconds the kid is playing out of his mind make no mistake about it right Mr. Barton the Texans are the surprise, if that's the word you want to use, in the NFL this year of teams that that are you know that are playing beyond expectations that we had for them in this game. Obviously, C.J. Stroud is a big time part of that. And uh, you know, look, and 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 it's even you know drama when it comes to like the kicking game, right, with Houston, right? You got you know Fairbairn going down with that quad injury, and so they just you know basically sign Amendola. Uh, this week, and he goes out there and kicks the game-winning field goal in this tilt. So, look, I'm not I'm not absolving Joe Burrow by any stretch of the imagination, but uh, it's been it's been pretty solid what Joe Burrow has done already in his young career, being able to get this team to a Super Bowl. And look, they're sitting at five and four. I get it. Uh, there's been games this year, and look, I I can speak to it personally from a fantasy football standpoint, because I have Joe on my, on, uh, on both of my teams. Um, it, it's not been good week to week. It's been pretty inconsistent as far as what it is that he's going to do. And so, yeah, you're going to put that on him and you're going to expect more from that team offensively because you, because we've seen what they've been able to do. But I think this is more about uh, what, what uh, success that, uh, that Ryan's and this Houston team have had and just kind of the extraordinariness that is C.J. Stroud uh, as a rookie quarterback right now in the NFL. Well, let, let me put it to rest that people on Twitter and the universe and the X universe and all that 
They're idiots. CJ Stroud <laughs> isn't close. He's not even sniffing the conversation of greatest rookie quarterback of all time. That award, you could argue between two. It either goes to Dan Marino, who Mm -hmm. burst onto the scene, or Ben Roethlisberger, who, oh, by the way, didn't lose a game for like like three months. He was like 13-0, and he went to a conference championship game that year. So, yeah, absolutely not. You could even throw Cam Newton in there if you remember him, right? I mean, Cam Newton came on. No, C.J. Stroud... Uh, wins-wise is nowhere close to Big Ben. Impact-wise is nowhere close to Dan Marino. And I like him, and I just sung his praises. Um, Thursday night, we finally get a good game, Chris. We finally get a really, really good game Thursday night. Ravens are a three-point favorite over the Bengals. Uh, Meanwhile, Houston, four-point favorite over the Cardinals, who gets Kyler Murray back. We'll talk about that game in a moment. And you turn around and you go, okay, what about these Browns? Can they kind of keep it up? Can the Browns keep the momentum up there? They are a team, as you said, you start to watch. Well, they take on their nemesis, the Steelers. They're going to be four-point favorites at home there. Yeah, you take a look at the matchup with Cincinnati and Baltimore. Doesn't it just scream, Tommy, uh, what happens in the NFL when you're talking about the dog days of November and December in, in the league in the regular season? I just... I just get the feeling, Tommy, that uh, this is going to be a situation where Cincinnati is going to try to uh, impose their will and inject themselves back into the conversation that is the elite in the AFC and give the uh, Tim Oglesby, Baltimore Ravens, everything they can handle. Uh, everything, I mean, look, everything does point to the Ravens should be able to to uh, to be able to handle themselves in this game. But uh, I just think that uh, I, I just have a feeling, Tommy, Cincinnati is going to be tough in this one. Two teams needing a bounce back. Two teams lost at home. Two teams lost at home. That were Super Bowl conversation last week. Now on a short week. And both quarterbacks threw two interceptions. Heartbreaking interceptions. I, I mean, the story writes itself. Uh, let's let's talk about the other team in that division that no one's talking about. And the Steelers, every year make me money with the futures plays. And I'm feeling good again. The Steelers go to 6-3. and three. It was a struggle. It was ugly. It was Steelers football. 23-19 over the Packers. Uh, it was a um, a game that you look at and you go, this is how the Steelers win, right? I mean, uh, this is a game where the Steelers are happy with these kind of games. They don't care. It's ugly. You didn't like it. Oh, man, you know what? They scored a grand total, both teams, of 12 points in the second half, and they don't care because they just keep racking up the Ws. And the, the formula is very, very reminiscent of the Chicago Bears team that went to the Super Bowl, where it was, hey, offense, just don't ruin it for us. We'll have Devin Hester return a kick, Peanut Tillman to knock one out, and then either, you know, Briggs or or Erlacher will pick it up and run it into the end zone. That was really a formula that made the Super Bowl uh, Chicago Bears click. We knew that as fans, and I'm friends with a lot of Steelers fans. I follow a lot of Steelers fans. I worked in Pittsburgh for a while. It's the same thing now. It is the same feeling with Pittsburgh. Hey, T.J. Watt's going to make a big play at the end of the game, and, and you know, Harris and Warren could run a little bit. Just, just don't ruin the game for us, offense, and let us go out there and do something. And that's what happened here. Steelers get the win. Steelers are 6-3. and three. You just talked about the Bengals. Yeah, they have a better record than them in the same division. You just talked about, you know, the, the, the uh, Ravens. Yeah. They're right there, a game back in the, the division, well, a, a half a game back. The Browns, same record, yet we don't take the Steelers serious. 
Let's put our cards on the table here, Tommy, and let's lay it out there. The Pittsburgh Steelers are the weirdest team in the NFL this year. I mean, it's coming. It's kind of ridiculous, my man. I mean, think about this, right? Uh, you know, and Najee Harris referred to this. Uh, you know, the Pittsburgh Steelers. You know, it's going to get. It's going to be a tight one down the stretch. You know that it's going to come down to you know the last couple of minutes of the game, and you know uh, lately that the Steelers find some way to win. This is a Steeler team that can't outgain anybody from any statistical category whatsoever. Yet they find a way to win. Going back to what nine games, even into last season, they they what nine straight wins in one score games dating back to last year. All six of their wins so far this year have come by uh, eight points or less. And, and there's you know phrases used like define logic of the NFL. Every game's a coin flip. You know this team. Uh, you know it, they find a way to kind of scavenger up a little bit of offense. Tom Barton. You know then they get a, a couple of timely turnovers and then they get a smorgasbord of just other stuff uh, with everything else just to survive. And again, I use words like chaotic, right, and utterly predictable at times. Yet they still find ways to win. Tommy, I'm watching NFL Network tonight after the Raiders-Jets game. Maurice Jones-Drew, Chris Rose doing highlights of uh, the game, uh, both the Cleveland game and this Pittsburgh-Green Bay game. Uh, Chris Rose is a Cleveland guy, so he's, you know, he's kind of pumped up about the Browns, obviously. Maurice Jones-Drew says of all these teams that are of note, right, when you talk about the NFC, or excuse me, the AFC North, he thinks the Steelers are winning that division, and he thinks they're going to win the division because, you know, as you roll into November and into December, the Steelers play the way you need to win in the NFL. And that's, you know, you have the tandem, obviously, of Warren and, uh, and Harris in that backfield. It's kind of, a, you know, nose-to-the-grindstone type of offensive football that uh, becomes successful. So, I mean, I'm kind of picking up what he's putting down, Tommy. I don't know about you. But, I mean, this is a Steelers team. I know I just waxed poetic a little bit about Cincinnati. And, obviously, you know, you're going to talk about the Ravens in this mix as well, too. But uh, what about this Pittsburgh Steelers team as far as, you know, what their prospects could be? I've had confidence in them for years. I think that their way of – their formula of winning is fine for them. What's going to happen the next two weeks, Browns, Bengals, both on the road, probably two losses. People are going to go, ah, it's finally catching up to the Steelers at 6-5. and five. Then they get the Cardinals and Patriots at home. They're winning both of those games. So now all of a sudden you're going to go, oh, wait a minute. Now they're eight and five. Then you get some key games, Colts on the road, Bengals at home, Seahawks on the road, Ravens on the road. I'm looking at this as a 10-win team. I mean, I think I think they back into nine wins, but they're a 10-win team. I don't know about the division. I'm not ready to go that far. But yeah, I absolutely think that they squeak in and they are a playoff team. Speaking of playoff teams, the Vikings have now become the NFL's hottest team, winning five games in a row. They are six and four. They are breathing down the necks of your Lions teams uh, that we thought, okay, the division's kind of over. The Saints were handed this division. They were supposed to win it. They lose 27-19 today. They go to 500, guys. And suddenly the Vikings are back to being a playoff caliber team. They have a backup to a backup running back. They have a backup wide receiver. They don't have Justin Jefferson. And it doesn't matter. They are rolling right along. This is just good coaching. And I'm talking about not only the offensive coordinator, but the defensive coordinator and the head coach. Good coaching, well-executed. Vikings with a home win 
And the Vikings are suddenly that team that you got to go, man, hey, they're no easy out. And I'm getting a little nervous here. How about this Minnesota team as far as, look, who do you have to give credit to? You have to give, you have to give credit to Kevin O'Connell, right, in, in this situation. And, of course, Josh Dobbs. You're talking about Josh Dobbs, you know, a, a, a guy that's been, you know, a seven-year career with seven different NFL teams. And uh, the last two weeks has just been kind of crazy for him. This is an offense in Minnesota, Tommy, that's just injury-riddled and thin, yet he goes out there and throws for a career high. For passing yards, gets the two touchdowns, uh, or excuse me, contributes the two touchdowns, including that sweet touchdown run that he had off the edge there where he hopped over the pylon. Uh, and they get they build a 24-point halftime lead and uh, end up holding on to win the game by eight. But this is not something that was expected about, uh, about the Minnesota Vikings. You 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 kind of talked about it and you kind of called it uh, the the kind of viewpoint that a lot of us have. And yes, everybody knows I'm a Lions fan. But the view was, okay, you know, Kirk Cousins is is out. Um, the Packers are the Packers, and they're not going to really scare anybody. Uh, and we understand what uh, Tom Barton's Bears are, right? So the, there was an assumption that the Lions were going to be able to handle this division. Then you've got the Minnesota Vikings, you know, rattling off, what, five straight wins now? And, uh, and so they're absolutely viable sitting at six and four there. And it's, you know uh, – and T.J. Hawkinson, I think he outgained the Saints all by himself in the first half, right? Ends up going like over 120 in the first half for a touchdown, uh, making a lot of fantasy owners happy, I'm sure. And uh, you had Blackman as well as uh, Murphy having like fourth quarter interceptions of uh, those those heaves by Winston there that uh, ended you know consecutive state Saints possessions and really kind of you know took the air out of their their opportunity to come back and win this football game. So. Uh, yes, the, the, the Vikings are absolutely live. Um, but I just don't know, is this a fairy tale that may come to an end when it comes to Josh Dobbs, Tommy, you know, I, I mean, look, I get it. You know, it's, it's been kind of a whirlwind here the last couple of weeks, but do you really think, and, uh, and I'm not even looking at the schedule right now in front of you. Do you really think that Dobbs and company are going to be able to keep this up later on down the line here? Well, next week they get the Broncos. They're only a three point underdog. Uh, albeit on the road, that's going to be next Sunday night's game. So winnable game there. You get the Bears after that, certainly a winnable game there by week. You get the Raiders, yeah, winnable game. At the Bengals would be tough. Your Lions, but it's in Minnesota. Green Bay comes back to Minnesota and the Lions again. Look, let's say they go one and one against the Bears and the Broncos. That's seven wins, okay? Uh, they, they lose to the Raiders and Bengals, but they get the two home wins against the Lions and Packers. That's nine wins. They they lose to the Lions in Detroit. That's nine wins. I mean, nine wins in the NFC should probably get you a playoff berth. They may squeak into 10 if they can beat the Raiders. I think the Vikings are for real. I think they are a team that, again, I mean, what are we talking about real? But I'm talking about a a potential playoff team. I don't think they catch your Lions, but a potential playoff team? Yeah, I, I absolutely see that. What about the Packers here? Packers, somehow or another, are only a three-point underdog at home next week against the Chargers. The Packers are sitting here at three and six. We keep talking about teams that are going to be picking inside the top five, Chris, uh, maybe looking at a quarterback. Jordan Love is clearly not the answer. He's not the answer. And they are three and six. Chargers, Lions, Chiefs still on the schedule. They still have to go to Minnesota. I know they got a Tampa Bay, Chicago at home. They got the Giants. I mean, to me, look. 
They're a five, maybe a six-win team, which means they're a top 10 kind of draft pick. Do they go and make a change at quarterback? Is Do they kind of throw the book away and say, no, it's not Jordan Love? And what about Minnesota? What if Minnesota takes them to the playoffs? Do they still go make a change at quarterback, or do they stick with Dobbs? I absolutely, if we're talking about right now, as we sit here today, think they're going to go in a different direction, Tommy. I really do. Look, Jordan Love uh, is just has not been the guy. They're not even the 1980s Don Makowski Green Bay Packers at this point. They are full-on rebuild, and one of your weaknesses, oh yeah, happens to be the signal caller on this offense. You like what you have, right, in that backfield with A.J. Dillon and Aaron Jones, guys who are, you know, that uh, kind of, you know, thunder and lightning type of situation. You like a lot of the receivers, right? Young receivers and Jaden, you know, Jaden Reed and, uh, you know, Musgrave is a guy that, that they like a lot. Wicks and, Do- uh, and Dobbs as well as uh, Christian Watson. Uh, you know, kind of you kind of spread it out among those guys. And so I don't think the, the issues necessarily are at the other skill positions. I think it is that quarterback for them. And I want to believe that, you know, that their head coach is one of those guys that's, you know, uh, among that group of those young coaches that's on the rise when you're talking about, you know, the McDaniels and guys like that. Uh, I want to believe that that they still believe in him as a coach. And so uh, he's going to be able to pull the trigger or he, along with the general manager there, are going to be able to be uh, to work well together. And I think they I think there is an assessment, I guess, is what I'll say. And look, we're, we're, we're on the outside looking in here, obviously, but. It's it's my uh, in my humble opinion, yes. I think that they do go a different direction than Jordan now. Now, now Tommy Barton. Now that I just said that, uh, Jordan loves to probably gonna go out there and you know start playing like a an all pro type quarterback. I would I would expect here in the next few games. <laughs> the the C, the C win jinx kind of thing. Exactly. Yeah, but you and I. But yeah, hey, but look, let's be let's be let's let's be honest here, right? You and I. It's not like we're you know we're not crying a river over here because the Green Bay Packers are having issues. Uh, particularly at uh, the quarterback position. Well, it's a beautiful thing for me. And from my vantage yeah. point, it's fantastic. You know, you get uh, basically, what, three decades nearly of great quarterback play. Uh, yeah, it, it's about time to struggle. Welcome to the Chicago Bears lifestyle. <laughs> uh, yeah, look, I, I think um, I think they both should go in a different direction, as good as Dobbs is. I, I'm not. I'm not sure either one of them will. I really have been doing a little bit of mock drafting and whatnot. And I, I do think five quarterbacks have an opportunity to go in the first round. I just don't know if they're willing to pull that trigger. Maybe, maybe Minnesota late, if they could get that guy, maybe like a McCarthy or a, you know, a project guy, like a Bo Nix potentially. And you have Dobbs on the roster. Uh, and then the question is, where does Kirk Cousins wind up? Um, does Minnesota get a discount because of the, of, the injury, does he return? Where does he wind up? So lots of questions basically circling there. I, look, I don't understand the line next week with the Chargers. I know it's in Green Bay. I get it. Um, it might even be cold there. It might be snowing there. I know that the Chargers, look, they have problems traveling. I just, I have no faith in this Green Bay team to do anything offensively against anyone. So that might be one of those uh-oh lines where where Tom's making a decision on Sunday night <laughs> you know, uh, before watching the film, and I'll have a different opinion Saturday. All right, here's what we're going to do, guys. Take a quick timeout. Come on back. 
We have hour number two. We're going to continue on Niners, Jaguars. A lot of people thought both of these teams had deep playoff runs in them. Only one of them showed up today. We'll get into that. We'll get into Tommy DeVito living with his parents and how well did that turn out? Probably about as you guys imagined. And we will absolutely be previewing tomorrow night's game as well. All that and more, hour number two on its way right after this right here on Heatwave Sports. Now back to Heatwave Sports. All right, guys, welcome back. Hour number two, Heatwave Sports. Tom Barton from TomBartonSports.com here with Chris Wynn. We are going over everything in the NFL. I got to tell you, Chris just uh, popped over and showed me, as Chris put it, a bad you-know-what whip by the <laughs> Raiders' new coach and now winning coach. 2-0. Antonio Pierce, uh, it, it is nice. <laughs> that what do you call that? You nice. call that candy apple red, don't you, Tom Barton? I think that's oh, the, yes, the you do. Oh, yes, you do. Of that color. I was a I was a car guy for a minute in my life, and uh, yeah, that that was nice. That, 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 that's a nice one. And and you said it. You know, Pierce just he just seems like a Raiders coach. Well, when you talked right, Tommy, last week about becoming the head coach of the Raiders he reflected on his past, right? His childhood, a kid that grew up in the shadow of the Coliseum there in Los Angeles when the Raiders were there for that short period of time in LA. And look, we know the dynamic that is Raider nation. We know that, uh, you know, the two cities, they were, they, you know, were obviously uh, a huge focal point. We're in Oakland and that short period of time in Los Angeles when they had great, uh, they had great teams. I believe they went to the Super Bowl, right? 1984, the year that they were in Los Angeles. So, Great teams, uh, you know, a fan base that is uh, unique is the word I'll use without question. And, uh, yes, he just seems like that guy, right? Um, and I'll, I got to be honest, Josh McDaniels didn't seem like that guy. Josh McDaniels seemed like the, you know, the boy band version, if you will. You know, the Backstreet Boys, sync O-Town slash, uh, you know, uh, boy band style coach that I just, it doesn't seem to fit when you look at the Raiders. Guys like Art Shell, guys like John Gruden, quite frankly, right? Where, you know, John Gruden wasn't exactly great at the Raiders, but the point being is that it's that mentality. It's that look. It's that, uh, you know, kind of representation. I think that's unique, and I think that Antonio Pierce exhibits that. Now, look. Moving forward, do I think he's going to be the head coach? And do I think, you know, after this season, he's going to end up being the guy? I don't think so, uh, because I think they're not going to be able to be in a position from a either a playoff standpoint or, you know, or from a success standpoint where they're going to stick with him. But uh, I, to me, he does fit the bill, right? He does seem like uh, the guy that should be cast in this role, if you will, as the head coach of the Raiders. And we'll, and we'll see how he does moving forward throughout the rest of the season. Well, let's keep moving forward with us. And there was starting to be some questions about, is Brock Purdy the guy moving forward for San Francisco? He had had a couple of bad games in a row. Uh, look, San Francisco fans would tell you, well, we're missing our, our left tackle. Hey, we're missing Debo Samuel. Hey, we're missing guys all over the field. And let's get let's go get a healthy and we'll come back and we'll be okay. Well, yeah, they were. They were just fine. They went into Jacksonville and absolutely destroyed that team. 34-3. to Jacksonville couldn't do anything offensively. Trevor Lawrence looked pathetic. If that, if I could 
disparage someone that I've really supported his entire career. He looked absolutely pathetic. The Niners looked just as good as they did when we saw them clicking on all cylinders. And we talk about kind of the conversation around teams. The conversation around the Jaguars started to be, hmm, remember last year after the bye week, they got really hot. If they do it this year, can this team really be considered maybe a Super Bowl team? And the Niners were, well, I'm not sure. You know, they had that early season success. What if? Well, after this game, it is clear. Jacksonville's still a step behind. They cannot hang with the elites. Can't lose a game like this at home in this fashion and think that you are. But the Niners, they're back to being one of the elite teams in the NFC. And the Super Bowl conversation is back on for sure. A lot of times, right, Tom, we talk about coaches and staffs wanting to just, you know, chuck out game tape and never take a look at it again. Maybe the Niners just uh, can do that with the last three games, which which they lost because it was almost like they hit the reset button. The Niners were simply dominant, both sides of the line of scrimmage, and pretty much controlled this game from the opening drive. You love what you saw from San Francisco on the ground with 144-yard rushing. You see, you love seeing Debo Samuel back in the mix if you're a Niner fan, coming back from that three-game absence and getting that 23-yard uh, scoring run uh, for San Francisco. And, you know, the Niners, I guess it takes, you know, a three-game losing streak a cross-country trip across to Jacksonville and taking on a team that had a five-game winning streak at the time uh, to reestablish yourself as a favorite in the NFC. From a defensive standpoint, no doubt, uh, they were also dominant. You saw Trevor Lawrence sacked five times, and uh, Nick Bosa was just all over the place all afternoon. And even Chase Young, right, newly acquired from the Washington Commanders, comes in and gets in on the action as well, too. So, uh, definitely kind of a reboot for San Francisco in this game. And uh, to be honest with you, as someone who's a fan of a team that's considered one of the better teams in the NFC, I never thought that this was a San Francisco team that was going away anytime soon or it was not going to be in the mix and kind of expected that some type of game like this was going to happen in which they were going to uh, lay the wood to somebody. And that's exactly what they did against Jacksonville. And Bosa and Young now. Now, oh, that trade. That If Brock Purdy's holding up a Lombardi trophy, I think we're going to look back at that trade and be like, wow, how did the rich get richer getting Young? Uh, like I said, Debo was back. Everybody was back healthy. And it's like the Avengers re- reassembled here, Chris, because that's how good they looked. Uh, what about Titans Bucks? The Bucks are another team that you look at and you go, they just keep plodding along and hanging in there. It's a winnable division. No one's running away with this thing. I had made the mention on uh, my sports garden show uh, multiple times over the last couple of weeks that the best red zone defense in the league belongs to the Bucks. They still have two dynamic defensive middle linebackers in White and David. White is a talent. Evans is a talent. Mayfield is doing good things back there. It's just their offensive line. If they can get a little bit better play, this team could be dangerous. Well, they moved to four and five with a complete defensive shutdown of the Titans. Will Levis might have a bright future, but he's going to stumble, and this is one of those stumble type of games. Derrick Henry couldn't do anything. He was actually running backwards for most of the game. Will Levis couldn't do anything. The Bucs look good. Mike Evans, 143 yards. Uh, but it really was the Bucks' offensive line that finally, finally looked pretty good in this one. And you got to start looking at the Bucs and saying, mm, can they go on a little streak now? 
Yeah, San, when you talk about uh, what San Francisco was able to do right after three straight losses come in with an impressive win against Jacksonville, Tampa Bay, right? Kind of a, a situation which is a team that dropped four in a row after winning three of their first four games to start the season. And this is definitely a way to get right if you're or the Tampa Bay Bucks. Um, I think that touchdown that Mike Evans ended up getting there uh, in that game kind of personifies t- Tommy what this team is all about. He catches the ball there at the you know four or five yard line and he's kind of willing his way into the end zone. This team finds a way to to get it done. And uh, Baker Mayfield is no slouch, right? As uh, as far as a quarterback uh, in this league, he's a legitimate starting NFL quarterback. Goes for two seventy eight, a couple of touchdowns. Uh, for the Bucks, you love what you saw with Rashad White there, right? Getting a, uh, a, that first quarter screen pass and turning that into a 43-yard touchdown as well, too. And, of course, Mike Evans going, you know, six receptions for 143 yards. And he probably should have had another touchdown, right? I mean, it's not probably. He should have had another, another touchdown that he just drops in the end zone. So, uh, but this Bucks team is, uh, if you want to call Jekyll and Hyde to me, at times they can be Jekyll and Hyde. But uh, they're formidable when it comes to uh, the NFC, and uh, they're definitely not a team that anybody should be taking lightly at all. Next week, the Bucks, for all their worth and everything that's good and everybody's loving them, well, they're 10.5-point underdogs on the road against San Francisco. I understand it, <laughs> even though we just kind of sang the praises. And Jacksonville stays at home. They get this Titans team, minus six Jacksonville, in what I think Jacksonville starts to become almost a, hey, you're not in a must win, but kind of got to win here. And if the Niners play anything like they did today, this will be a nightmare for the Bucs. Yeah, I could see that shaking out that way. You expect Jacksonville, right? I mean, they just have too many pieces, don't they, Tommy, especially on offense. When you're talking about Ed, when you're talking about Ridley and Christian Kirk and these guys, uh, you know, and I can't remember, excuse me, but the, these receivers they have, in in Jacksonville, Jacksonville. Uh, to go along with their tight end, it, you you expect kind of a bounce back for for Trevor Lawrence, who wasn't exactly scintillating in in the game today for the Jaguars. How about your Lions, Chris? I I've waited long enough. I I want you to wax poetically because it was a really impressive game for the Lions. They win 41-38. I gave out the over for this game. I expected a game like this. I was stunned that the over-under was 48. It went up to 49 before it happened, before uh, game time, but it didn't matter. It was back and forth all day. But the Lions, to me, the Lions were never in trouble uh, for losing this game. I, I know it got, it, it got close, and Herbert kept it close, and Keenan Allen had a huge game. But the Lions can beat you in so many ways. Number one, you have Jared Goff. Of course, he, he is now among the top quarterbacks in the league. Is he in top five? No, but he's among the top quarterbacks in the league. I think he's a top 10 guy. Yes, I do. He's got a dual running threat. Montgomery with 116 today, and he was the secondary option because Gibbs was extraordinary when he touched the ball. And it also because of, look, they, they made the right choice. I screamed and yelled about it at the time. Penny Sewell was an amazing choice. Their offensive line is great. Their defense is finally coming around in big spots. Now they didn't show it a lot today. But it's a win, and it's a road win. And the Lions go to 7-2. and two. And suddenly, and I, I'll tell you, I was watching uh, the game with you know, my wife and my son, and my son's getting into it now. So he's kind of understanding football. And Abby says to me, she goes, uh, you know, are the Lions for real? And I said, well, what do you mean for real? Like Super Bowl for real? She goes, yeah. And I paused, and my son goes, hey, they're 7-2. and two. 
right? And, and I said, you know, <laughs> you don't have to really understand the sport to go, yeah, I, I think they have to be for real at 7-2. and two. This was a massive, massively impressive win. The way they did it, the way they fought off the comeback, the way they went on the road. I know the Chargers aren't world beaters, but I liked what I saw today. Tommy, a lot of discussion uh, about this game between Detroit and Los Angeles being one of the more exciting games in the 2023 season, how this all went down. We expected both these teams from an offensive standpoint to be able to kind of uh, put their foot down, right, without question. Uh, Detroit's a team uh, with uh, – I, mean, I just talked about weapons when it comes to Jacksonville and some of these other teams. The Lions uh, getting back a healthy David Montgomery was big time for them during the bye week, of course, uh, you know, getting a chance to get him healthy. And uh, he paid immediate dividends in this game, right, with an electrifying 75-yard touchdown run. He ends up going for a bunch of yards. Uh, one of the, one of the more uh, interesting, to say the least, backfield tandems with the Lions when you're talking about Dave Montgomery and Jameer Gibbs, the rookie out of Alabama. So, uh, but it, but he can also do it through the air. Jared Goff. I mean, we we can't discuss enough how much this guy has kind of been uh, either underestimated, underappreciated, kind of thought in as a throw-in when it came to the trade with Matthew Stafford and the Los Angeles Rams. Uh, you know, Jared Goff has been solid across the board, better than solid. And the Lions, yes, as you pointed out, it never felt like they were really in any danger, even when the Chargers tied this game up. I mean, it was, we, you know, what's kind of crazy, Tommy? The Chargers, I think they had five straight plays in the second half where they scored and they still weren't able to either get a lead or, you know, uh, or, or even uh, have, an, have an opportunity to uh to 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 have a lead late in this football in this football game so uh yeah they scored touchdowns on their final five drives tommy and even that wasn't enough so you had a sense it was going to be kind of a shootout in this game uh you know as i mentioned montgomery goes for almost 120 he has 116 jameer gibbs 77 and two touchdowns in the game amara st brown continues to do uh, what, what uh, is expected of him being one of the top receivers in the league goes for a career high 156 and he's from that area. He's an Anaheim Hills native there, former SoCal standout. So, uh, but, you know, he's the first Detroit receiver to have a six 100-yard game span in a seven-game span since Calvin Johnson in 2012. So the Lions are pushing all the right buttons right now. At first time, they've been 7-2 and two since 2014, back when Stafford, Johnson, those guys were a playoff team and ended up losing to the Cowboys in the playoffs. Um, they're still the cream of the crop in the NFC North without question. Um, and it's even in a game where your defense didn't play well, right? I mean, the Chargers ran out there and you, you had monster games from Keenan Allen. You saw Justin Herbert. Uh, Justin Herbert just had monster numbers as well, too. And it all comes right down to uh, Riverboat Dan Campbell, I guess I'll call him, right, Tom Barton? Uh, the guy who's not afraid to go for it on fourth down. They had a situation where they could have just kicked a field goal. And Riley Patterson could have gave him the lead. And, they, you know, Dan Campbell's like, nah, I'm going to go for it here on, like, the 38-yard line. And uh, they get the completion of Sam Laporta, and it's big for them. And, of course, they end up uh, going down uh, and scoring a touchdown on that play instead of instead of kicking a field goal. So it, it was uh, it was big time for them. And, uh, and, of course, they, you know, orchestrate the drive in which Riley Patterson can kick the game winning field goal. You know, it, this is a game, Tom where the Lions would have absolutely positively laid an egg and lost against a decent Chargers team at on the road. The Lions were on the road, you know, three, four, five, six years ago. Detroit loses this game easily. 
So it's uh, it's another indication, Tom, that uh, the Detroit Lions have kind of turned the page on what they used to be, and they are kind of what they are now, which is a contender in the NFC, and that was on display in Los Angeles yesterday. Lions will be an eight-point favorite at home against the Bears in a spot that you can laugh at me. I think it's a dangerous spot for them. Bears got time off. You don't know who the quarterback is. You don't know who to prepare for. The Bears defense have played extremely well recently. Uh, I, I I think the Lions win. I, I'm hesitant to lay that eight points. I think this could be a trap spot. Well, that is scary without question, right? I'm talking about a point over a touchdown, which I'm, you know, even even novice, average, you know, occasionally go to the window with a few ducats, betters like myself, Tom Barton, are going to see that number and say, uh, and we're going to take a step back and be hesitant and probably look at the Bears in this situation. Now, I am interested, though, in the quarterback situation. What What's the deal, Tommy, when it, when it comes to all things Chicago? Obviously, they got the win on Thursday night over a, a lowly Carolina Panther team. But is 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 uh, is Badgett the guy in the short term, or is it going to be a situation in which they actually look to go a different direction or, you know, uh, or the, obviously the health of Justin Fields is imperative as well, too? I think Fields comes back for this one, and I think that that's the dangerous spot. This team likes Fields. They're going to rally around Fields. His teammates like him, and he just adds that element with the running. Uh, Chris, speaking of running, speaking of legs, Kyler Murray was back, and he was running. I've never been a fan of Kyler Murray, not since college, uh, but you can't doubt the guy's talent. Cardinals win 25-23 in an absolute just – Kyler Murray was purely on display. You look at his numbers, you go 249 in an interception. Didn't even throw a touchdown. Don't care. He was running everywhere, making things happen. The Kyler Murray effect – was absolutely felt in this game. Cardinals aren't doing anything more than just uh, making their way down the trough as far as the draft picks go, making the Falcons' lives miserable. But it's good to see Kyler Murray, and everyone's just assuming the Cardinals are going to go out there and draft a a quarterback. And and what do you do with Kyler Murray? Guys, he still can play, and boy, did he play. You know, you have certain quarterbacks that walk onto the field, and you go, yeah, he's a difference maker. He's still a difference maker here. He gets the win. The Falcons drop back to one and four on the road, and that's going to be their big problem. Well, we were just surprised, right, Tommy? Because it's been, what, 11 months since we've seen Kyler Murray out there doing things. Look, I got my foot in my mouth, Mr. Barton. I'm just going to lay it out there because I never thought this guy was going to be an NFL quarterback. I thought for sure by now he'd probably be playing in center field for the Las Vegas Aviators, getting ready to try to you know make the Oakland A's so, you know, uh, you know, opening day lineup in 2024. That's where I really thought this guy was going to be. So I was wrong because the guy ends up coming to the NFL and actually doing something. But it was kind of a textbook Kyler Murray situation, right? The guy bounces around in the pocket for a minute before he's like, he rolls backwards. The guy's dancing between multiple defenders, running to his left, reverses back to his right, sprinting, rolling up the field. You know, 13-yard run, ends up setting the game-winning field goal up, and Arizona wins the football game. Now, look, I'm going to say this. This is more about, to me, and I got to get your take. This is more, to me, about the Falcons just being an absolute dumpster fire, Tommy Barton patented. Okay? I don't understand what Irv Smith is all about. I don't think he's an NFL head coach. I think the, the, the Falcons, look, I understand that they've been kind of bouncing back and forth at the quarterback position, whether it's Desmond Ritter or, you know, Taylor Heineke or whatever. 
But you know, you got Bijan Robinson, and you got you know some of the pieces they have uh, as far as weapons offensively. I don't understand, you know, why this team is sitting you know under five hundred when and losing games to the likes of the Arizona Cardinals, who just picked up their second win of the year. I think it's kind of ridiculous, and I I, I just don't know what the identity is of this Atlanta Falcons team whatsoever. Yeah, the the, the Falcons are. Arthur Smith's just a disaster. I, I mean, I have no, I have absolutely no love for the Falcons or hate for the Falcons. They just exist in my world, and, and I feel for them. You know, I really do. Uh, Cardinals takes on the Texans next week. Uh, Texans four and a half point favorite. I thought that would be a lot higher. I really did. Um, but uh, look, I think people are still finding out. You know, who is this? Is is Murray back? Is he going to be what we thought he could be? Uh, let, let's breeze through this one real quick here. Cowboys just dismantle Tommy DeVito living on his mother's couch. 49-17. Dak Prescott goes nuts. Five touchdowns. They were still passing. I mean, this was McCarthy just rubbing it into the Giants. And I get it. You don't want it to happen. You you, you know, don't call off the dogs. You just stop us kind of thing. I get all that. They were throwing and throwing and throwing. It was 28 nothing at the half. They came back out. Not even just throwing short passes. Bombs all over the field. C.D. Lamb was incredible. Cooks was incredible. Everybody got into the show. Well, not Pollard. If you had Pollard in fantasy, he didn't score. But everybody else scored. Dak looked amazing. The Cowboys just absolutely laid it, laid it, laid it on the Giants. The Giants are the worst team in the NFL. I don't think anyone's even arguing that at this point. And the Cowboys uh, bouncing back. Look, they should have won against the Eagles. I think they took their frustrations out in this game. You want the magic number, right, Tom Barton? It wasn't. It was... Number 72. No, we're not talking about William the Refrigerator Perry lining up in the backfield for Tom Barton, Chicago Bears. No, we're not talking about the win total for the 1996 Chicago Bulls. We're talking about the combined points, Tom Barton, of the two meetings of these two NFC East teams that the Dallas Cowboys uh, have won by. They won 40 to zip in the opener in New Jersey. And full disclosure, Tommy, so this was another play that I had today. I had the under. 39, and our friend Danielle McCartan from WFAN there in New York, she X's slash tweets me back, well, Chris, what are you doing? They won 40 to zip in the first meeting. Why would you think this game would go under 39? And I was quickly proven uh, completely wrong, again, as uh, you know, the game almost went over in the first half. So uh, the Cowboys just laid an absolute smackdown on the Giants, right, Tommy? And you mentioned it, Dak Prescott uh, just lighting things up, uh, accounting for the five touchdowns and, uh, you know, throwing for over 400 yards and four TDs in this game. Look, it's a Cowboys team that uh, is solidly in the mix, right, Tommy? When you're talking about probably the top four teams in the NFC, uh, there's a lot of people that know their football, know their pigskin, know their gridiron, that have uh, the Cowboys solidly right there with the likes of the Philadelphia Eagles, the Niners, and the Lions atop the NFC. And uh, they just kind of uh, imposed their will in this matchup against the Giants and showed exactly why they are where they're at. Next week, Washington takes on the Giants. They're eight-point favorites at home. I am still alive. I, I'm in a, a pool with 30,000 people for a survival pool, there's 124 people left, and I'm one of them. I have to kind of choose next week. Washington might be my pick against the Giants. Dallas, 
Well, we might see a repeat of this. Dallas takes on the Panthers. I know the Panthers had extra time off. Uh, they are nine and a half point favorites. So Dallas going to be able to rack up some points if you're in a fantasy league there. Last game of the day, then we're going to go to a quick timeout. Um, Seahawks beat Washington 29-26. I had the over in this game. and I cannot tell you how frustrated I was. This game, folks, was 9-9 at the half. Field goal, field goal, field goal, field goal, field goal, field goal, field goal. Come out of the second half, Washington, field goal. I mean, and then it just exploded. 27 points in the fourth quarter. Geno Smith looked really good. Uh, Kenneth Walker looked really good. Uh, at times, the, the defenses, they were non-existent. Don't look at this score. I, look, I got my over, but don't look at this score and think that the defenses held them to field goals. No, no, no. It was just up and down. Sam Howell throwing it all over. Robinson running it all over. But Seahawks, look, they get out of this thing with a win. And, and you could say, again, how do you get there? And Washington's playing tough, and they are. And RP enemy thinks that Sam Howell is uh, Patrick Mahomes, and that's the system he's using. All of that is true. Seattle goes back to going 4-1 and one at home and making Seattle relevant again. They're 6-3. and three. I picked them before the year to win this division. I think they are not only a legitimate playoff team, I think they're a legitimate threat here, Chris. Call me crazy. I'm on this Seattle team, and I'm looking at them as a dangerous team. Tough game today. I get it. They walk out with the win. Seattle 6-3, as you mentioned, tied with San Francisco at the top of the NFC West. And a big-time rebound, right, Tommy, when you're talking about getting just lambasted by 34 points last week to the Baltimore Ravens, the second-worst ever loss, by the way in Pete Carroll's tenure up there in the Pacific Northwest. This is a game in which you had both Sam Howell and Geno Smith with, you know, late game heroics, you know, scoring drives and trading big throws and TD passes there kind of in the closing minutes. And they had a feel right of the last team to get the ball was going to win the football game. And that's kind of how it shook out. Geno Smith uh, was just flawless right there at in the closing minutes of the fourth quarter. And uh, he didn't just, just do it one time. The guy did it twice. In uh, in this game, late, leading them, of course, uh, to Jason Myers getting a chance to kick that game when he field goal as time expired. And uh, they held off Washington in this game. But, uh, you know, Geno Smith, obviously, you know, last year, had, you know, tremendous season, kind of a almost like a rebirth type of season for him. It hasn't necessarily been like that completely this year. But he had, it, look, it, there have been moments throughout this season. This is the third time, what, in uh, this year that Smith has led a winning drive in the fourth quarter or overtime for Seattle. So, uh, again, a team that uh, is absolutely live when we talk about teams uh, like the Pittsburgh Steelers and the AFC and others, right? This is a Seattle team that uh, many people don't really think about because they, because they play in a division, obviously, with the San Francisco 49ers. But uh, they could they could be uh, really a formidable for, uh, as we get later on down the line here and close to the playoffs. Well, you look at this and you go, they have a quarterback. They have a dual-headed running back that they could go back and forth with. They have receiver depth, great offensive line, great middle linebackers. It, you know, their their secondary is young, but they're pretty good. If they can just get some kind of consistent pass rush, that's kind of the difference maker. I thought they'd be on the Chase Young thing, and maybe that is the difference uh, between a division championship or not. Next week, they get the Rams. They'll be three-point road favorites over the Rams who are off of a bye week. After that, they get that matchup with the Niners, then the Cowboys, then the Niners again, then the Eagles. So, wow, is it going to get tough? You could call the Rams game next week almost a must-win for this team 
because the four weeks after that, and they do finish off, look, they finish off with the Cardinals, Steelers at home, and Titans. So they, they have three winnable games at the end, but Niners, Cowboys, Niners, Eagles after next week, I, I think it's almost a must win in a division game. Things are going to get real tough for Seattle. All right, let's get a quick timeout here. It'll be the last timeout. We'll come on back. When we get back, we're going to preview the Bills game tomorrow against Denver Broncos. The line has been shifting and moving. And, you know, we're starting to look at the Bills in a different light. I want to talk to Chris about that. How are the Bills viewed if they win? How are the Bills viewed if they lose? And the same thing with Denver. We all remember their defense giving up 70. They look like a completely different team. How much more will they look like that better team when they come out of the bye week? We'll talk about all that and more right after this, right here on Heat Wave Sports. Now back to Heat Wave Sports. All right, guys, welcome back. Heat Wave Sports, Tom Barton from TomBartonSports.com here. Chris Wynn joining me. Go check him out on Twitter. It is, or on the X, it's at Christian Wynn. If you want to hit me up, it's at Tom Barton Sports on the same platform. We're out at Heat Wave Sports, at HW Sports. I, I thought Tim was going to be able to join us, but looks like we're going to close out the show uh, solo here. Chris, I got to talk to you about tomorrow night's game. And yeah. the line opened up at eight, eight and a half. It has come back down to seven. Everybody seems to be off of the Bills bandwagon. It seems like this is the time to jump off. There's major problems. Micah Hyde is injured. Uh, Matt Milano was injured. The minute the Milano injury came down, and then Tredavious White, who seems to get hurt every year, the minute that happened in the same game, um, I texted it to Tim. I've been talking about it since. The Bills are not the same. If you listen to my preview show before the year began, I said the Bills are going to the Super Bowl. I think I picked them now for the third year, right? <laughs> and I said so with this. Why? It wasn't because of Allen. It wasn't because of Diggs. It wasn't because of my belief in Kincaid, which all existed. It was because the defense was finally healthy. And they could never stay healthy, but they were finally healthy, which is why I was so on the Bills bandwagon, which is why I think a lot of us were on the Bills bandwagon. You lose your best corner, who, when he's healthy, is the top five corner in the league in Tredavious White. And then you lose Matt Milano, who's the heart and soul of your defense, and a very good linebacker to boot. And now you lose a safety in Micah Hyde. It's like the nightmare is going over again in Orchard Park. Every year for the past better part of four years, their defense just falls off key pieces, key pieces, key pieces, key pieces until there's nothing left. And I feel like that's the Bills right now. They are in a stretch of games here where this is a must win tomorrow night. Yeah, I mean, I'm saying it. This is an absolute must win for the Buffalo Bills. It is not hyperbole. I'm not trying to hype up the game, okay? After uh, the Broncos and Jets, which are the next two weeks, both at home, they go to the Eagles, to the Chiefs, Cowboys, to the Chargers, Patriots, and Dolphins. They have five wins. So let, let's let's just say they don't win, right? Because I'm saying it's a must win. Say they, they don't win, and they split the next two. That's six. They lose to the Eagles, lose to the Chiefs on the road, on the road. Still six. Six with four games to go. You then have to win at least three and probably four out of Cowboys, Chargers, Patriots, Dolphins. That's if you don't go 2-0 in the next two. On the flip side of this game, 
you have the Denver Broncos. Denver Broncos were laughing stuck. They gave up 70, Chris. Ah, <laughs> what a bunch of bums. 70. Oh, well, what have they done the last three weeks? They held the Chiefs to 19. Yeah, it's a loss. Still held the Chiefs to 19 in Arrowhead. They held the Packers to 17 in a win. They then held the Chiefs to nine. Then they get their bye week. Suddenly, the Broncos are playing really, really well defensively. The Bills are a mess defensively. And now they meet up tomorrow night with a line that has gone from seven or from eight and a half down to seven. The whole world's against the Bills. The whole world has jumped ship on the Bills. People starting to fill up that Denver bandwagon. Is it a bounce back for Buffalo? Is it now let's set the record straight and, and show everybody we are the Bills for the first time in a month or a month plus? Or does the decline continue here and maybe the window is shut for the Buffalo Bills? Let me be very clear, Tommy, and Heatwave Sports Nation out there. When you're taking a look at the Buffalo Bills situation and you have a deal where you have one of your 11-year vets in Latavius Murray, not just calling one players-only meeting during a season, but now calling two players-only meetings during the season, that's not a good thing, okay? That is an indication that you have absolute issues that you need to deal with as a football team. And you mentioned it. There's descriptions of the Buffalo Bills situations being you have no more room for error whatsoever. Yes, they're the three-time defending AFC's champs. We get that. But dropping three of five, you have fallen out of the playoff picture as of right now. And to talk about the personnel situation, you brought it up as far as their defense missing three key starters, right? And an offense that has absolutely been uh, the word that is uh, popular is sputtering, right? As far as this offense is concerned. When I see James Cook out there, I feel like he's a running back who's in there because the starter got hurt, right? It feels like he's like a guy that's an also ran that doesn't belong being a number one guy. I'm sorry. It just does. Now we get it. They have talent across the board when it comes to the wide receiving core and the young tight end. Uh, that uh, the Vegas kid, by the way, and Kincaid, we like him. But this is an absolute uh, situation in which the Bills have to be able to win football games down the stretch. You laid out the schedule, right? Um, I'll describe it this way, all right? There's only one game on there that they can't lose, in my opinion, Tommy, and that's probably the Patriot game, right? Every other game they could absolutely lose, right? They could probably win them also, too. But that's the way I describe it, is that uh, I see that gauntlet of a slate, and that's the one game, the New England game, where I think they're going to be okay. Now, let's get into some other numbers here, Tommy, real quick. Past five outings for the Buffalo Bills, more punts, 14, than touchdowns, 13. And that's after uh, the first four games where there were 16 touchdowns and they punted just seven times. The, the numbers speak for themselves. Um, now flipping over, as you said, to the Denver Broncos, what makes this dangerous? What makes this a game in which the Broncos could, you know, could cause some problems? Well, yeah, uh, you know, since that 70 to 20 loss to Miami, uh, you know, Sean Payton is kind of, it seems like he's got a little bit of his footing there. 
in Denver. They won two straight games. They're also well-rested, right, coming off a bye week. So that's you know, should be a positive thing for the Broncos. So, I mean, it just kind of looks like it could be a perfect, terrible storm if you're Buffalo Bill fan and you're Matt Visca, if you're V-Smack and crew, and you're not going to be happy if, if the Buffalo Bills end up laying an egg here. But, yeah, I'm surprised. I mean, you said you, what your predictions were at the beginning of the season. I could, could completely get on board with the idea that this could have been the year the Buffalo Bills could, you know, get off the schneid, so to speak, and break through the, grass, the glass ceiling and actually win a Super Bowl. I was, on, I was in that camp. I was on board with that. But right now they're 5-4, and four and it doesn't, it doesn't feel like a team that is necessarily going in the right direction. So, uh, so I guess here's the deal. If they come out here and they look impressive and they get this win over Denver, then, uh, you know, and the Broncos coming off, what, that 24-9 win uh, over Kansas City two weeks ago in which uh, the Broncos snapped that they're 0 for 16 against this division rival in that game. So I guess there's a spot here where the Broncos could possibly, you know, uh, uh, have, uh, you know, kind of it could be a letdown situation, I guess, to the extent that the Broncos could have a letdown. But I think you understand what I'm saying. So, I mean, it, it seems like it's a spot where the where the Bills should be able to handle it. But, uh, hey, man. Uh, this is not exactly a, a team that solidifies a ton of confidence, Tommy Barton, when you're talking about the Buffalo Bills right now in the 2023-24 season. Is it fair to say that the Bills are in a no-win situation tomorrow or the Broncos are in a no-lose? And let me explain. The Bills go out there tomorrow, like you said. Impressive showing. They they thoroughly beat Denver. No problems. Yeah, you know, 31-17, something like that. Uh, the defense looks fine. Allen looks good. James Cook runs well. And what are we going to say? Well, yeah. Okay, you're supposed to do that. It's Monday Night Football. You're at home, and the schedule is ahead of you. If they go out there and lose, that's it. We're throwing dirt on them. Whereas the Broncos are the other way around, aren't they? If you go into Orchard Park and you win, all of a sudden, you've now beaten the Chiefs and the Broncos in back-to-back weeks. Schedule in front of you is pretty light. Wow, this is great. I mean, if you lose to them, okay, no big deal. But if you win, well, you've done that. Their their mindsets are so vastly different. You only get this kind of perfect storm on a, on a primetime game every so now and, then, now and then during the year. The Bills are in a must win. They cannot lose tomorrow. And even with a win, we're all going to go ho-hum. Where the Broncos... Are in a must are, are a must nothing right? I mean, they really are a must nothing tomorrow. If they win, wow, we are going to talk about the Broncos something different. If they lose, no problem. Denver can still convince their fan base that they have an easy enough schedule with the Vikings and Browns at home, Texans, Chargers, Patriots, Chargers at home, Raiders. They still have enough of of a schedule left to be able to get their wins. Is that a fair assessment? That really. Nothing will change tomorrow unless the Bills lose. It's a spot on assessment, but I'll also add on to it. I'll piggyback a little bit here, Tommy. It's all the pressure is on the Buffalo Bills in this situation, right? The Denver Broncos, we kind of have an expectation of what they are. We kind of feel like we know what they are. Um, And a big key in this matchup tomorrow night is going to be this Broncos defense, right? Now, look, they still rank last in the NFL as far as yards allowed and is tied for, what, 31st? in points surrendered 
Now we understand that they gave up what ten touchdowns to the Dolphins in Week Two, so that kind of uh, might might uh, skew that number a little bit. But Patrick Sertain talked about this as far as uh, kind of the mindset that the Broncos defense has right now. They, they, I mean, they really do feel after what they've been able to do in recent weeks that they're they're a team that can uh, that can bend but don't break. Well, what am I talking about when I say that? Well, they they feel like you know teams can get uh, make some plays and get into the red zone, but there's a standard almost now in Denver where they can hold them to three points or no points. That's the way that uh, Patrick Sertain, the second, and, uh, and other guys on this defense feel. So that's going to be intriguing to me, Tommy, in this matchup tomorrow night to see exactly how the Denver defense responds in situations with the Buffalo Bills. Are they giving up touchdowns to the Bills in these situations, or is the field goal kicker rolling out there and uh, and, and booting it through the uh, uprights? So with that said, give me a prediction. How do you see this one playing out? I think the Buffalo Bills offensively are going to be able to be productive, particularly through the air. I think this is a situation in which both uh, both Diggs and Kincaid can expose some weaknesses when it comes to the Denver Broncos. So I'm thinking – I'm not going to sit out here and say that, uh, that Buffalo is going to score 30-plus points in this game. But I do think it's going to be somewhere in the neighborhood of like a, like a twenty-seven to. It seems like a twenty-seven to, to thirteen type of game, Tommy, where the Broncos just don't aren't able to muster up enough offensively to get it done against the likes. I mean, you do like kind of the emergence, right? Is the word I'll use of Jerry Judy, right? Of being the guy that he's kind of supposed to be. I mean, he's nowhere near what what his projections were, but. Uh, just that he's actually finally shown up is, is a good thing for the Denver Broncos. But um, I just don't think uh, – I think the Buffalo Bills defensively are going to be a real issue for the Broncos in this tilt. So I think that 13 points is ambitious if you're talking about the Denver Broncos. So I think it's a, I think it is a 27-13 to 13 type of football game in which the Buffalo Bills get the win. Yeah, listen, I'm, I'm right with you. Um, I'm going to – kind of annoy every sports better out there because I have it almost right on the number. I had 27-20, right? I mean, it's yeah. right there for me. I think that Buffalo squeaks out a win. Micah Hyde going down is 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 tough. You got you have 11 starters on your team, okay? But let's be honest. The front four um generally are switching in and out. So that means you have seven real starting defensive players on your team. The the Buffalo Bills in the last couple of weeks have lost three of them. That's like half you know, I mean, that's that's massive. You lose White and Hyde and Milano. That is massive. And I really like what the Denver Broncos have been doing. Um, I, I think that that they keep it close. It's going to be tough. Uh, one thing I will say, if you guys are looking for like a free pick or something, um, I'm staying away from a, a lot of this game. I, I love college basketball tomorrow, but I'm staying a lot away from a lot of this game. But go look at Josh Allen's uh, attempts over 33. He is thrown. 38, 40, 40, 38, 40. I mean, he's, he's, he could go over this by 10. And I think he's going to have to throw all day. You said it. James Cook isn't really holding up his part of the bargain running wise. He's going to have to throw all day. Chris, that's going to do it for us. Um, we're going to head out of here. I, I got to tell you, it's always fun and, and quick. Every time I'm on the air with you, I tell you how quick it is to be on the air with you. Uh, where can I hear you all week long? Good times, Tommy, as always. It's great to be a part of the uh, Heatwave Sports family. And, yeah, it does. It flies by like lightning, Tom Barton, when we do shows together. Uh, you can find me all over the uh, World Wide Web. You can find me at Christian Wynn on X slash Twitter. 
You can find me at uh, Instagram as well as TikTok at CWIN77. And all, all over the airwaves here, here in Vegas, right, Tommy, when it comes to uh, the, the great show, Heat Sports, over here on Fox Sports Radio in Las Vegas. I'm also over on SportsX Radio on KDON here in Las Vegas and streaming on the Odyssey app as well, too. And, and a couple other shows and podcasts. Through. Anytime I can get in and, and chime in on all things sports, Tom Barton, I always uh, take that opportunity to do that. So uh, have a great week, week, my friend, and uh, we'll do it all again next week. By the way, F1, coming to Vegas, Tom Barton. You're lucky you're not here, man. You want to talk about traffic and just utter mayhem when it comes to Vegas and the Strip? Well, F1 is on the right here, my friend. Thursday, it all gets going. It's all it's a night gig. It's all like a late night gig here in Vegas that's going down for the first time ever in town here. Vegas newbies, I heard uh, people from the F1 complaining. They, they didn't know it rained in Vegas, and they didn't know it was going to be cold. <laughs> well, well, okay. Well, welcome aboard. And, yeah, I, I watch the live feed sometimes because I, I, miss, I miss Vegas so much. But I watch the live feed sometimes, and uh, just yeah. the – the anxiety I get just from watching that is is a little out of control. Guys, you guys can go check me out at TomBartonSports.com. Uh, I tell you when I'm rolling good. I tell you when I'm rolling bad. I am now 22-11 and 11 on the NFL season. It's documented. That is verified. You go documented. Uh, go check out the documentation on multiple different monitoring sites. 22-11 and 11 in the NFL season. I've gotten off to a red-hot start in the NHL, red-hot start in college basketball. 3-1. and one. I went on Saturday, three and one. I went today, and you can get it all at TomBartonSports.com. All of it, no extra fees, no sales calls, no hey, there's a game of the year, game of the week, give me more money. No, no, you get every play that I select in every sport that I select, all of it for less than two hundred dollars. Or you want to try me out for three days? No problem, twenty five bucks. Try me out for three days. You get every play again. There's no secondary packages. That's it. Three day package. Full month package at TomBartonSports.com. Guys, enjoy your week. It's going to be crazy. Here we go again. We got NBA, NHL, F1's now here, college basketball. Uh, Day games are going on. We have a great Thursday night game. We're going to be talking to Tim next week and to see how angry he is or how happy he is about the Ravens game. Enjoy, everybody. Thank you again to Chris Wynn. Have a very good weekend.